0: Good evening, my friends. I hope it is midnight wherever you are. Let's imagine that it's the witching hour. Why don't you turn out all the lights? My name is Josh Hitchens, and I am your host tonight. Welcome to Going Dark Theater. This is a podcast about finding the humanity behind the horror, and this midnight I will tell you the tale of the Rockwood Revenants. My friends, I am getting close to completing the text of the book I am writing for the history press, tentatively called The Haunting of Delaware, Ghosts and Legends from the First State. One of the chapters in my book is about a location that has become one of my favorite historic haunted places. I've kind of fallen in love with it. It is the Rockwood Mansion near Wilmington, Delaware. If you imagine the television series Downton Abbey, a manor inhabited by several generations of a wealthy family and their faithful servants, as a haunted house with a ghost in almost every room, That is the story of Rockwood. Its colorful past is filled with fascinating human characters, and I believe the story of this rural, gothic, Victorian estate could fill an entire book by itself. Perhaps, in the future, I will write one. But here... For you, now, is the haunted and haunting history of the Rockwood Mansion. A graduate student named Gilbert Tapley Vincent wrote a thoroughly researched master's thesis for the University of Delaware in 1972 that was republished in 1988 as Romantic Rockwood, a rural gothic villa near Wilmington, Delaware. His evocative opening paragraph describes the eternal allure of the Rockwood mansion and estate like this The outstanding significance of Rockwood lies not in its individual details or objects, nor even in its architecture but in its remarkable portrayal of an age. Constructed between the years 1851 and 1854, the estate comprised a mansion house, porter's lodge, stable, carriage house, gardener's cottage, and 211 acres. As it exists today, It is an unusually complete and effective statement of early Victorian taste that is fast vanishing from the American scene. To walk the grounds and enter the mansion of Rockwood today is to be transported into another age a vision of a long-vanished Victorian past that remains startlingly present because the exquisite mansion of Rockwood and the landscape surrounding it have long been known as one of the most haunted locations in the state of Delaware. Rockwood has been featured on Ghost Hunters, and many other prominent paranormal television programs. It well earns its reputation as a hotbed of well-documented supernatural activity, as well as a historical gem that offers its many visitors a trip back in time to a world of 19th century elegance. Rockwood was built by a man named Joseph Shipley. Born on December 4, 1795 in the city of Wilmington, Delaware, Shipley spent a great deal of his adult life in Liverpool, England. Once he moved there in 1819, Joseph quickly distanced himself from the austere Quaker faith he had been raised in, writing in a letter to a friend that he had purchased, quote, a best super blue cloth coat with velvet collar and gold gilt cuffs, and he attended a fancy dress party. A scandalous fact that somehow made its way all the way back to his devoutly religious family in Wilmington. Joseph Shipley became a merchant banker in England, and over the years he amassed a large fortune. In 1846. Joseph Shipley built his own English country house named Wincote, designed by architect George Williams. However, by 1850, Joseph Shipley's health had begun to decline. He had been plagued by gout for over a decade, and now he was forced to slow down. Joseph Shipley made the decision to leave Liverpool and retire near the city of Wilmington, where he had been born. On a visit home to Delaware in 1847, Joseph Shipley was taking a country walk with his nephew, Edward Bringhurst, Sr., and Shipley suddenly remarked, Edward, this is my idea of a situation for a country place. If thee can arrange to buy it, I would come here to live." Joseph Shipley was standing on the exact spot where the Rockwood Mansion would eventually be constructed from 1851 to 1854. Like his beloved windcoat, Shipley had Rockwood and its surrounding landscape designed by George Williams. The estate received its name, Rockwood, from the fact that the grounds were strewn with large granite boulders, some of which may have been used to construct the mansion's grey stone exterior. Most of the materials used to build rockwood were local, however. Joseph Shipley did choose to import the cast iron and the plate glass from England. The final product of the house and grounds was and remains breathtaking. Rockwood's impressive rural Gothic architecture was the first of its kind in Delaware. Joseph Shipley moved into his grand estate at Rockwood in 1854, bringing the entirety of the Wincoat household with him, This included his favorite dogs, Toby and Branker, as well as his Scottish gardener, David Shaw, and the housekeeper, Audrey Douglas. Joseph Shipley never married, or had any children, and he was often infirm during his final years, having to be wheeled about the house and gardens in his invalid chair. Joseph Shipley died at Rockwood on May 9, 1867, at the age of 72. He willed the estate to his sisters for their lifetimes, with the stipulation that after his youngest sister died, the estate would go up for auction. Hannah Shipley died in 1891. The auction of Rockwood was won by Joseph Shipley's niece, Sarah Shipley Bringhurst, in 1892. Sarah then gifted the estate to her son, Edward Bringhurst, Jr. The great nephew of Joseph Shipley, Edward Bringhurst, Jr., and his wife, Anna, had four children. The eldest child, Elizabeth, nicknamed Bessie, was already married and living in an Irish castle called Killwater. At the time, her parents purchased Rockwood, but she returned to help decorate the new family mansion with the latest exquisite Victorian furnishings and decorations as well as adding ten rooms to the servant's wing in 1895. Elizabeth Bessie Bringhurst Galt Smith, hobnobbed in the circles of high society all over the world, finally moving into Rockwood itself in 1923 for the final years of her life. The other Bringhurst family offspring who moved into the Grand House in 1892 were Mary, Edith, and little Edward III. This was, for a time, the golden age of Rockwood, when its fifty room mansion and luscious grounds were filled with the joyous tumult of family life, together with their staff of hard working servants, including maids, housekeepers, cooks, a butler, laundry workers, and gardeners, the Bringhurst clan lived a life of comfortable luxury that, in many ways, resembled a real-life American version of Downton Abbey. The patriarch of the family, Edward Bringhurst, Jr., died in 1912 at the age of 77 after living at Rockwood for exactly two decades. His wife, Anna Bringhurst, lived for 11 years after her husband died, passing on herself in 1923 at the age of 80. After their parents' deaths, sisters Bessie and Mary Bringhurst often had lavish dinner parties at Rockwood. But only nine years later, in 1932, Elizabeth Bessie Bringhurst Galt-Smith became the fourth person to die inside the walls of the stately mansion. She was 69 years old at the time of her death. Little Edward Bringhurst III was only eight years old when his family moved into Rockwood, filling the house and grounds with the laughter and play of a child for the first time. A small building on the grounds was set up as a playroom for him, and the ruins of that structure are still visible today and known as Edward's Playhouse. As Edward III grew into adulthood, he is never known to have dated women, and he never married or had children. However, he did possess a love of fine furniture and antiques as well as being an amateur photographer and aviation enthusiast. In 1911, at the age of 27, Edward Bringhurst III was presented to King George V of England. After this incident, He legally changed his name to Edward Bringhurst V. Some say because he believed he was on the same social level as the current King of England. Eventually, Edward Bringhurst V contracted tuberculosis and spent many years in and out of sanatoriums in an effort to cure the deadly disease. Edward's health, made worse by an aviation accident, continued to decline until he died in the Delaware Hospital, a few miles from the Rockwood Estate in 1939. He was only fifty-five years old at the time of his death. Now, Edith and Mary were the only Bringhurst children left. Edith married a man named Alexander Sellers at Rockwood in in 1897, but then they made their home in Radnor, Pennsylvania. Edith was the only Bringhurst sibling to have children, one of whom, Nancy, would eventually inherit Rockwood many years later. Edith Bringhurst Sellers died in 1947 at the age of 73, leaving her sister, Mary Bringhurst, in the grand house all alone, tended by her faithful servants. Like original owner Joseph Shipley and her little brother Edward III or Mary Bringhurst never married or had children and there is no evidence in the surviving historical record that she ever had any male suitors during her lifetime. She was regarded as a kind and a caring woman who loved the theater and could play the piano and the banjo beautifully. Mary Bringhurst died in the Rockwood Mansion at the age of 100 years in 1965. Mary Bringhurst had been born in 1865 at the end of the Civil War and died in 1965 at the height of the Civil Rights Movement. Mary Bringhurst was infirm during the final years of her life, completely blind and no longer able to go up and down the mansion's staircases. According to her housekeeper, Edna Blunt, after Mary had to be moved to a downstairs room, quote, she laid there, five years and didn't know anybody or anything. However, near the end of her full century of life, Mary Bringhurst made clear to her niece Nancy of her, quote, primary desire to preserve the beauty of Rockwood. After Mary Bringhurst's death in 1965, Rockwood was inherited by her beloved niece, Nancy Bringhurst Sellers Hargraves. Upon Nancy's death in 1972, with no more family descendants to inherit the property for the first time in Rockwood's history, she willed the estate to an as yet unnamed non-profit organization quote for the enjoyment of present and future generations just as her aunt mary bringhurst had wished before she died in 1973 The Rockwood Mansion and its surrounding landscape were acquired by Newcastle County, Delaware, with the organization Friends of Rockwood as its caretakers. The property was added to the National Registry of Historic Places in 1976, and ever since, Rockwood Museum and Park has been opened. For the public to enjoy. However, it has become apparent that many of the people who lived at Rockwood and died at Rockwood between 1854 and 1972 have never left the house and grounds. In a chapter of his 1995 book, Welcome In, Ed O'Connewitz interviewed a woman named Susie, who had been a volunteer guide at Rockwood since it opened to the public. Susie recalled speaking with the housekeeper of the mansion's final owner, Nancy Sellers Hargraves, who related that after one night of terror, Mrs. Hargraves never spent another night in the house alone. According to her housekeeper, Mrs. Hargraves was alone one night when her husband was away. She later said she heard all sorts of things all night long, walking around. Mrs. Hargraves locked herself in her bedroom and pushed chairs up against the door and wouldn't come out. Edna Blunt, a former housekeeper at Rockwood, recorded her own testimony in 1984 about a frightening haunting that occurred during the time Mrs. Hargraves lived in the house. Edna Blunt said, One year, Mrs. Hargraves had brought this cook from Maine. Her name was Florence. Every morning I went in, Florence would say, I didn't sleep last night. Something bothers me back there. I said, well, what is it? She said, I don't know. It gets over my head and I can hear this heavy breathing. I can't sleep. It was like somebody gasping for breath. Edna continues. Sister Mary was raised there at Rockwood and she was a hundred years old when she died. Yes, she was a hundred years old. Well, Margaret had worked for her for 36 years as a cook. She had an apartment on the third floor and Margaret married John. They were all brought from Ireland by Sister Bessie. They would go over and bring back cheap help, you know. Then they would work out their passage. Well, after Margaret came over, John came. John worked in the yard or whatever, and after a while, they got married. They bought a house in Gordy Estates. Margaret said John went home that day to cut the grass so he wouldn't have to do it on the weekend. It was their weekend off. And when he came back, it was so hot. He said he was going to go upstairs to the apartment and lie down for a while. So when Margaret finished work and went up to tell John they were ready to go home, he found him dead. And I don't know if that was John, but that's what we think it was, him gasping for breath back there. Staff and volunteers at Rockwood Park and Museum have continued to experience paranormal activity into the present day. If anything, the numerous ghosts of the mansion seem to be getting even bolder with the passage of time. Former director of Rockwood, Philip M. Nord, now retired wrote of the house's haunting reputation. Since my arrival here at Rockwood two years ago, I have been fascinated by and somewhat skeptical of the ghosts that inhabit the mansion. There is a long list of strange noises, sightings of unusual things, stories of tragedy in the house, and people claiming to have hair stand up on the back of their necks, claiming there was a presence near them. A longtime servant claims there is a secret room in the basement. I have looked, but have not found it yet. some current employees will not go to the second floor at night. It wasn't long before Philip M. Nord has it had his own paranormal experience inside the Rockwood Mansion. On October 29th, 2011, he appeared on an episode of the television series My Ghost Story, where he related this tale. One time, I was closing the place up, and I go into every room to find out if everything is locked up. We have a tea room, and there's no doorway, there's curtains. I looked to my left, and sitting in one of the chairs in the tea room was this person. I thought the staff hadn't asked him to leave, and so I looked and I stared at him. And he looked at me. He didn't move. I suddenly got all chills all over me, and I, I I, turned away, and I said, I see you, and I turned back, and he was gone. That was the first time I'd actually saw a real, full, in-flesh apparition. So I went downstairs and the ladies looked at me and they said, You saw a ghost, didn't you? I knew it was Edward Bringhurst, And it totally unnerved me. I can guarantee you it was not a figment of my imagination. Rick and Alice Lovelace have done so much to document the haunted history of Rockwood in recent years, and both of them were gracious enough to provide me with many records of the unexplained phenomena inside the mansion and on the grounds that they have collected. Alice Lovelace wrote a room-by-room assessment of the ghostly goings-on. Here are some highlights. The Upstairs Hall Someone visiting the Bringhurst heard a tapping noise in the upper hall sounding like a cane on the floor. As the guest looked toward the sound he saw an elderly woman walking along the upper hall with a cane the visitor assumed that she was another guest he had not yet met when the mystery lady did not show up for dinner however the guest questioned the bringhurst who assured him that all their guests were present after dinner The family brought out photo albums to see if the witness could identify the mystery lady. She was indeed recognized as a long-dead relative who walked with a cane. The ante-room Rose Abbott past president of the Friends of Rockwood and a former guide related this creepy tale. She was giving a tour one Saturday to a group of five people. She walked completely into the anteroom. As she talked about the room and furnishings, she felt a little nudge on her shoulder. She found one of the books case doors had drifted open, so she closed it carefully and tightly. Before she left the ante-room, it happened again. She jokingly told her group that one of the ghosts must want the door open, and she wasn't about to argue with a Rockwood ghost. Rose and her group proceeded to the dining room. When it was time to proceed upstairs, she peeked into the anteroom one more time and found the bookcase door completely closed. The Servant's Bathroom Several years ago, Jack Bronlein, the previous director, discovered that he was having serious water damage due to an overflowing tub in the long-disused servant's bathroom on the third floor. When he investigated, he found the tub full to overflowing, but the faucets were not on. He made sure that all sources of water to the tub were completely turned off. Within days, it happened again. This time, Jack had all the water pipes to that bathroom removed. The servants' staircase. Many guides and many visitors have heard the sounds of swishing skirts on the servants' staircase. It seems to be loud enough to cause people to turn their heads and look up the stairs, expecting to see someone coming down. I witnessed this on a tour when several ladies on my tour heard the same thing and all looked up the staircase at the same time. The Winter Garden Several years ago, a guide greeted two ladies at the door. One lady said she had come to Rockwood before, but this time she wanted to bring her friend. Her friend made her living as a psychic. The psychic said that she saw a well-dressed gentleman in a wheelchair in the winter garden and that he seemed lost and confused. The guide said that it must be Mr. Shipley, and he's confused because that room did not exist before 1913, and Joseph Shipley had died in 1867. Road to Upper Parking Lot While I was on duty in the dining room, I was pointing out the portraits of family members to a woman. When the woman saw Sarah Shipley Bringhurst in the portrait with Edward III, she really did a double take. She told me she had just seen this woman. The visitor had parked her car and started to take her afternoon walk on the old road that leads to the upper parking lot. She walked past a woman walking her dog. She said hello, but the woman looked at her without speaking. She took special notice of her because the woman looked very plain and severe and was wearing a long black cape. This struck her as odd because it was a very warm afternoon. After she passed the woman, she turned around to take another look. There was no one there. This woman insisted that Sarah Shipley Bringhurst was the woman she had seen. Mary Bringhurst Bedroom. Almost every time I close Mary Bringhurst's door, it sticks and I have a great deal of trouble opening it to let my group continue the tour. I can't see why it sticks. There is light showing all around the door and the knob turns easily. So I say, Miss Mary, these visitors are enjoying your lovely home and I would really like to show them the rest of Rockwood. I find then that the door opens easily and effortlessly. There are not only human spirits haunting Rockwood, there are canine ghosts as well. Over the years, both the Shipley and Bringhurst families kept at least 40 named dogs as pets On a patch of lawn shaded by trees near the mansion's conservatory, there was once an extensive pet cemetery, its markers now gone, eroded by time. There are two mentions of a phantom dog recorded in the anecdotes collected by Rick Loveless and other museum docents. Saturday, October eighteenth, 2014. Rick and Alice Loveless were on a ghost tour. On the second floor, in the Bringhurst master bedroom. Alice was bent over Mrs. Bringhurst's dressing table near the windows looking at pictures. Rick took a picture of Alice. In the picture of Alice bent over the dressing table, in the window next to her, was a dog's face looking in from outside the veranda. There were no dogs at Rockwood. Alice Lovelace related another incident on December 13th, 2014 that was experienced by several individuals that night as Rockwood hosted its annual holiday open house event As I was standing, talking to a group of guests in the Shipley reception room, I felt the presence of a dog to my left side. I started to put my hand out to pet this dog realizing what i was about to do and knowing there are no dogs allowed in the museum i turned to my left and looked down to see the ghostly image of a large black dog which slowly dissipated i then called to linda macaulay and linda stepped over to the doorway and before she could say anything to me her eyes started to water linda then said to me i smell a wet dog and i am allergic to dogs i then told her about my experience roughly 10 minutes after i had left the reception room and returned to the kitchen Ellen Ellis, another docent, was stationed in the dining room, and Ellen heard barking coming from inside the museum somewhere. She hadn't known what had I, I had experienced, and there were no dogs in the museum. A few days later, While I was giving a tour on the upstairs staircase where the large pictures of the Bringhurst family hang, I realized that the Irish wolfhound standing with Mary Bringhurst in the picture was the dog that I had started to pet. The Apparition of Mary Bringhurst is believed to have also been captured in photographs, both in her second-floor bedroom and in the old butler's room on the first floor where she spent the final years of her life. In both rooms, people have reported being touched by a cold hand, and at least one visitor has fainted. But perhaps the most frightening specter to walk within Rockwood is what some have called the Shadow Man. And his realm is the mansion's dark brick basement. This spirit, whoever it may be, appears in the basement hallway near the old coal chutes. On paranormal tours and investigations, participants often begin to feel deeply uncomfortable in the basement, as if there is someone sinister watching them. The entity known as the Shadow Man has been photographed. Of this unnerving image, former Rockwood director Philip M. Nord said on My Ghost Story, the photograph down in the basement shows a man with two dark eyes. It is a very strange, unknown, dark spirit. It may be something evil, and I don't want it to be there. On October 31st, 2020, I attended a paranormal investigation on the grounds of Rockwood hosted by Rick Loveless. It was unusually cold that Halloween night. Near the end of the event, I was sitting on a stone bench beside a spirit box, which can be used to detect electronic voice phenomena. I asked a question. Do you know why I'm here? There were a few moments of static, and then I heard an unmistakably human-like voice say, yes. I then asked, may I have your permission to write about Rockwood? This time, there was no answer only static, and I shivered. The event ended close to midnight, and as my partner and I walked to our car, I could feel echoes of the rich history of Rockwood and all its past residents around me in the darkness. On a Halloween 2019 episode of the local Delaware television show, The 302, about the haunting of Rockwood, host Jackie Ferris asked, Now, you guys see ghosts all the time here at Rockwood? And Rick Loveless answered, Yes, we do. It's not unusual when we are giving tours for people to see something out of the corner of their eye where there's been a figure that's actually walked across the hallways when we've been giving tours. People's hair has been touched and moved. It happens anytime, all the time. It doesn't have to be night. It doesn't have to be day. It just happens. Rockwood Park and Museum is an enchanted, deeply fascinating place, and a priceless historic landmark of Delaware history. The fact that it is so haunted by revenants from its past does not surprise me. But I think Alice Lovelace. Describes the immortal allure of Rockwood best. Isn't it odd that everyone who lived in this house from 1851 to 1972 positively loved Rockwood? They never complained about any of its shortcomings in any of their writings. The last owner loved it so much she wanted to share it with visitors from all over the world. We can see this spirit again in the new staff and volunteers. That is the best spirit of Rockwood that will never leave. Next time we meet ongoing dark theater, there will be a special dark Christmas episode of the podcast I have planned for you in December. It is about a truly horrific crime whose real human story I feel needs to be told and never forgotten. And that episode coming up next will be called The Tale of the Christmas Portrait. If you'd like to help support the creepy work I do, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Hitchens, where I post the text of the Going Dark podcast episodes, chapters from my book in progress, and audio recordings of my various horror stories. If you do wish to subscribe to my Patreon, you can do so for as little as $1 a month if the spirit moves you. I am your host, Josh Hitchens, and you've been listening to Going Dark Theater, where we always seek To find the humanity behind the horror. And until our next midnight together, my friends, I wish you all very pleasant dreams. And now, Going Dark.